0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Genesis chapter eight, fourteen through 9, 1. The word of God speaks to us. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his, w- his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his, ma- from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's word
1: to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad, and, and this is a this is the backside of the flood story that we were talking about last week, but it's a, a really continuation uh, linking together all that we've been talking about in Genesis. But I, I'm struck and, and reminded, like this is this this passage actually touches so closely on just what we're saying like the love of god has no end has no end it's like, how, how deep does it go? How wide does it cover? Could it cover all uh, the messes that I've made? Could it cover all that I have been through and done or, or could possibly uh, fall into or, or just willingly run after? And the answer is yes, and we get that from this text. We get that. We see that right here. And, and so for all the ways in which we struggle to believe, we know things in our head or read it on paper and we could, we could recite it for a test, uh, but struggle to believe it in the practical places. Like God gives us passages like this. And in many ways, I would sum it up as like, it's the same song, second verse. And and sometimes that gets used as a pejorative, as like a negative. It was like, oh man, it's the same thing. We're just going over the same stuff. Like, no, this is like God, with all of that's happening around, like actually reinforcing the message that he has. That the love of God knows no ends. And so would you just pray with me into what we'll look at today? Father, we need you. We are desperate for you. Like in, in ways that I I understand and recognize and in ways that I don't. Like I need you more than I even could acknowledge. I need you certainly more than I do acknowledge. And so God help help our hearts connect to your hearts. Help our hearts catch up with the things that we know. We, we're familiar with this passage. And, and so help us to not just glaze over with familiarity, but actually uh, interact with it. Interact with the heart of God right here and right now. So move. God, we need you. Amen. Amen. Well, he, like I said, this is, this is we're, we're on the backside of the flood. Where we get to is that the, the, the floodwaters have receded and this, the larger story up until this point, where at the end of chapter 8, is like God has been at work. The, the story all through these chapters is God's work. We've, we, we touched on that last week. This is less a story about Noah and his ark or how many animals got on, or, or did the caterpillars actually make it, male and female, on there? there were dinosaurs on there. This is not the story. This is a story of God and his grace in this. Moment, But last week, we we're talking about judgment, and this week, we're talking about covenant. We're, we're here, but this whole thing is about God at work. We talked about looking for the verbs in the text, the verbs attached to God right here in the text. It's, it's here. God has been at work. He is at work. He is creating, wasn't he? He created the garden. He created all that was good. He created man and woman. He placed them in the garden. God has given them tasks to, to keep and to till this soil. He, he walks with them. He walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. God, God walks in all of it, and then the story continues, and we know that sin entered this story. Sin enters the story. I, I, at one point, I put like it crept in, but it doesn't creep in. It's like a, a choice that we make in these things. It doesn't just happen upon us. Like sin is something that we pursue. Like the the notion of like, hey, what would it be like if I just had a little bit more of that? And sin entered the story. But we've talked here, and one of the things I just want to reinforce, I want to ring this bell again in your ears, is that sin is corrosive. It isn't just a problem. It isn't just bad. It doesn't just like make you dirty. Sin is corrosive, and it, it rots out everything it touches. And that's what we see throughout Scripture is sin is corrosive. And, and where we've come to, it, it, we saw it in the garden, and we've seen it since then, is that God judges sin. There's no way around it. God doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't just wipe it away. He doesn't just look the other way. God judges sin. even today. And so what we've seen here with this flood is that God, in a world that moved from two people sinning to family sinning to a world now that is it, it, sin is corrosive and moving out, it, it is ultimately dealt with in the flood, and now we find ourselves on the back end of the flood where it is dry ground. And what we get to do is walk into the story. We get to kind of put on the VR headset to stand next to Noah in this moment as he steps off of this and to see several things. So here's how we want to walk this out today. We want to see the new beginning that God has. It's not a totally new story. It's a new beginning to the story that God has already started. And it has so many echoes of what we've already heard. But we also want to recognize that so many of the old problems persist. The the old sins are still there. And then third, what we've got to catch in this story is that we're not talking about animals or, or any of these types of things. We're talking about God and his great love that has made a way for you and me to be right with him. That's a story from the very beginning that we get, and so we'll look that. We'll look at all of it, this, this everlasting promise of God that he's giving it. And so those are our three turns, and it, it, we just want to dive in right there. We want to dive in with what we talked about. We're talking about the new beginnings after the flood, this new beginnings that God has given in small steps into a new world. Pick it up with me in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 8, verses 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, now I just want to pause right there because I've, again, another bell that I just want to keep ringing is that we have a detail specific God. These aren't outside of his purview, and he gives us these details uh, here for a reason. Not so that we could mark it on a calendar as much as to know that God is, God is actually concerned down to the details uh, of this story, but your story as well. God is concerned with every bit of it, and, and all of the details in these things matter. It matters as we walk through it. And so on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. We're told later on that it was 150 days in this ark. 150 days that God said to Noah at this point, God said, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. And that's important because because one of the the pieces uh, in this story is I encourage you to go back and look at it is God told Noah to build the ark God told Noah to go in the ark. God then, again, as we're looking at verse, God closed the ark. Just think of the mercy of God not to make Noah do that. The mercy of God to not make Noah close the ark. And now, after all these days, God tells Noah, it's time. It's time to leave the ark. Just put yourself in that spot for a second. Like walk down the ramp with Noah for a second into this new world, into all of this. All that was is no longer there. All that, every living thing on the earth that took breath had died. And now he's stepping into this and God's giving him a new beginning into it. This is important for us. It's it's important. What we we need to catch is that Noah didn't just spend uh, all these years. Scholars think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of between 50 to 100 years from the promise of God that judgment was coming to the days of the rain when the flood starts. And Noah has all this time out there in which he's building an ark. But catch this. Noah's not just like a prepper trying to get away from everybody. Noah's not just like, all oh, those sinners out there are gonna build this and get away from them. No, what we're told, Second Peter tells us that Noah, it, it actually says this about Noah. It says, Noah was a herald of righteousness. Second 2 Peter 2.5 says, Noah, catch these words, a herald, a proclaimer of righteousness. He was telling people all these years, of the righteousness of God, of the coming judgment of God, when they would look at him and say, what are you doing, you crazy man? What are you doing? We live in a desert. Why are you building a boat? Like, he would tell them why he was doing it. There's a coming judgment, and this, God has said, is our only hope. He was a herald of righteousness. This becomes important to us, so just let me take a bit of a, an aside here. Like I feel personal conviction, I feel personal conviction when I'm reading through this story uh, of just thinking through the, the conversations that I have with my neighbors, my friends, my family. And sometimes we reduce it, like if we're lucky, we'll be like, hey, why don't you come to our church with us? Why don't you come to church with us and come see our church? And, and, and if anything, that falls short of being a herald of righteousness it falls short of caring enough about the people in our world to say, there is a judgment coming and your only hope is Jesus. Because he, he judges sin, he doesn't ignore sin. And so I just want to lay right here before us as a church of thinking through what we say that we believe, what we say that we're committed to, of like, who are the people in your life? Who are three people in your life? Who are those around you that need you to be a herald of righteousness in their life? Who are the people that God has placed in your path? Who are the people right around you that need to hear that the love of God has no end? That we would be people who learn from the story that it isn't just about animals and a big boat. That we would hear the message of God and that we would share the message of God. Okay, so back to back to our text right here. Back to our text. Noah spends his time, and then he gets on the boat, and then he gets off of this this boat. And God says, go. God says, go. Here is a new beginning. And the first thing that Noah does as we step into chapter 9 is Noah prepares an altar and makes a sacrifice. Well, there's all the connective tissue that we've already been through. There's all this connective tissue of like, now we know that sin must be dealt with, and there is one way to come to God, it is through the sacrifice. And the author goes to so much great links to like help us see this is a new beginning that we're talking about a, a new Adam, so to speak, and a new, a new temple, and a new provisions that we'll get to right here, and even a new commissioning that, that Noah is given. We see that. The author is setting this up to let us know that this is, it has all the echoes and all the refrain of what we've already sung. It's just a new day, and there is a new beginning. God outlines those new ways to this new Adam, Noah. And then it takes a sharp turn. It takes a sharp turn right there. He said, he gives him this. He gives him this right here. In chapter nine, verse three, the word of God tells us, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life that is its blood. Now keep going with me. We'll go right into verse five because we have this thing where now we're eating meat and now blood comes into this. Like who's gonna eat some blood? But it has to be said and God goes on. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man for his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Do you hear the link that is being made? So let's just unpack this for just a second. There's so many kind of weeds to get in here. And listen, we haven't even touched on the hardest ones yet. Like there's so many weeds here. Let's just kind of uh, take a quick uh, overview of some of these. God moves from here you have every plant of the garden to eat from to now now it's like here, now you have all the food. Everything on the earth is yours to eat from. The meat is on the table now, literally. Meat is on the table for us. And you're like, amen, good stuff. But then he gives a caveat, don't eat the blood, which you're like, why is God all in this blood business? Well, blood throughout the Bible has a significance to it. There's a significance to it. And then it takes another turn, doesn't it? It's like, hey, uh, we're not just talking about animal blood anymore. Uh, If you take the life of another person, there's a significance to that, and that will require blood. You've got this stair-stepping here, right? And you're saying like, wait, why? How does this happen? Why give instructions right here about murder? Like, why, why is he suddenly move from I can eat this to you're going to kill each other? And I just say that I think it's providential that we're taking this right before Thanksgiving. As we're passing meals and as we're thinking about it. It's like, who hasn't been like, you took all the mashed potatoes? I want to murder you. I want to murder you. So we kind of feel this, right? Uh, But this is a reminder that that, that though this is a new beginning, we're not back in the garden, and we're still under the curse. We're not back in the garden, and we're still under this curse. And there's a clear rhythm in this new beginning. All is yours, Noah. All of it is yours. The blood will be important, Noah. It's going to be important as we go forward. So pay attention to how you live. Pay attention to how all of this goes. There's like the same song, second verse. But people bring drama, and in this story and our story is no different. Just think about us. How many times have we thought, like, man, if I just get this new thing, that will keep me from sinning. If I just get this new device, I'll never look at that again. If I just uh, move to this place, then all of those struggles that I had over there are gonna go away. If I just, if I just have this in my life, if I would just cut this out, if I, had, uh, if I had all these kind of walls around me, then I wouldn't fall into that same sin again. If, if this were just kind of uh, walling me off from all of it, now I wouldn't have it. We could even get to the point maybe where we try to convince ourselves: If I had a whole new world, then I wouldn't sin anymore. And, and friends, like, that's literally the story we're standing in. And yet the story is going to move forward in that sin is still present. Here's why. Because we forget, like, we we get caught up in, like, we're caterpillars on there. How'd they get up? How long did it take them to get up there? Like, all this stuff. Did it take all these years because sloths were slow? We get caught up with all these, like, side issues. And we forget, in all the things that made their way onto the ark, Noah packed one himself, which was his sin. Noah packed his sin. And it wasn't in a bag by his side. It's inside of him. Because he's a man under the curse. And that leads us to our second piece, which is there is a new beginning here. There is a new beginning, but there are also the familiar struggles of old sins that lead to big consequences. And so as we kind of, as we fly over this, ne- this section in chapter nine. I'm gonna talk through it. We're gonna read a little bit here, but like, I wanna remind you of something. I wanna remind you that of Noah walked with God. And we're told that again and again, Noah walked with God. Noah believed God. Noah was a righteous man. Noah did God. He followed after and did all that God commanded. And we're not told, like, Noah doesn't get any lines in this narrative at this point. We're not hearing from Noah's mouth. We're, we're actually hearing about Noah's Actions which matter to us, because it's easy to say, "Oh yeah, like I believe in Jesus, I believe in all these things." But listen, what, what have we said? What is the bell I keep ringing? Is that we practice daily what we really believe? We practice this, but here's Noah, and this account in chapter nine goes forward for us, and we need to we need to hear it, and we need to hear it clearly. In verse twenty, it says. Noah began, to, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. It didn't take one chapter before Noah, a man of God who walked with God, is drunk and naked on the floor right here of all this. So it goes on. Let me read uh, the next verse to you. It doesn't end there because, and Ham, the father of Canaan, one of the sons of Noah, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, like, let's just kind of high-level this for a second because there's a curse coming. There's a curse coming here, and there's all sorts of ideas uh, about, like, just madness of what happens in the story. Like crazy suggestions on how this plays out. Uh, w- let's, let's not get in the weeds of this. Don't extrapolate this into uh, this means slavery for the descendants of Ham and Canaan. This means all these other things. Like all of those pieces are, are not what the text tells us. What the text is giving us right here and the narrative is making clear is like, hey, Sin is still very much a part of this story. And even this person who's a faithful man that all the way later in Hebrews, it talks about Noah's faith is still a sinner in need of a savior. He's still a sinner in need of a savior. Not one of us is exempt from that. Not one of us. You and me, all of us, are sinners in need of a Savior. And the second piece that we need to see and why I've reordered this is that, is that God, who has made already and makes a covenant with man right here in this story, is making covenant with human beings, with man, in full knowledge of the sin that is upon us. The sin that Noah carries, the sin that all of us carry. And it's here in chapter nine in which we give further explanation to what was thrown out there in chapter six. In chapter six, it, we're told, I will establish my covenant with you. But here in chapter nine, we see that more fully. And so we, we see this section gives us new beginnings, but it's also laced With the old sins, because we're not in the garden anymore. We're not in the garden. But the third piece that we've got to see is that we are given an everlasting promise, a covenant, an everlasting promise in a world sized billboard of God's great love for his people. Now that's important because, like, God isn't just saying, Hey, I hope you remember this. God's like giving you. An eternal reminder of all of it. And he does this in verse 9. I want you to see it. In verse 9, God says, uh, Behold, which should always get our attention. Here's something for us to do pay attention. Don't miss this, don't lose sight of it. Behold, behold, I, God, establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Verse 10. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth, with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. He goes on and he says, and God said in verse 12, he says, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. 13, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now friends, we've got some work to do here. We've got some work to do right here. Seven times in chapter nine, the author uses the word covenant. And this is like not a throwaway line. This isn't just happy thoughts, because in our world today, covenant is just kind of something that goes around. But covenant biblically is significant. And if you just trace this word through scripture, you see it is packed with meaning. And covenants in Bible time, if you read up on this, is they're always cut. They're cut. There's a cutting that we'll get to later on in Genesis here in just a few chapters off of this. But covenants are cut, and covenants are a a relational commitment that is broken upon death. If if one party were to break this, there's a death that is required. This is a covenant. This isn't us joking around. This isn't like, I promise to be there at 4 p.m. I might be a little late. No, 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 no. This is God with a covenant for his people. And he says this, he says this, we have been through this flood and this judgment and I am covenanting before you that it is not going down this way again. Now, what have we already said? Sin will be dealt with. Sin will be judged. God's not changing his character. He's not changing who he is. But he says, "I'm coming through a covenant now in this." And what do we get? What do we get as we see this, like this relationship? When God, when God makes a covenant, it is a saving relationship. Why? Because like God is making a covenant right here with Noah. And just imagine, like Noah, you got to keep your end of the bargain. No, God is the perfect one. It's God's grace. It's God's perfect and eternal loyalty. It's God's flawless faithfulness and infinite love, which says, this is mine. All of this is mine. And yet, he's not counting on Noah to remember every bit of this. And he's not counting on you or I to get every aspect of it. In fact, he's like, Noah, you're a forgetful person. Chad, you're a forgetful person. I'm literally going to hang it in the sky so you can't miss it. So you can't miss it. So, what is a rainbow? (laughs) What is a rainbow? We, we see all sorts of things. I saw a little one this morning come in with, uh, at the end of their pen, had uh, a cloud with a rainbow on it. And I was like, oh, man, that's perfect for talking about that today and stuff. And we we I see, I've seen it on clothes today with some of our little ones and different things. And it, it, we see this, we think about this. And, and a rainbow has gone to have all sorts of meaning in our culture and different things. But like the Bible says specifically what this is. And think about where we're at. We're on the backside of the flood. And the God who brings judgment says, I am going to hang my bow in the heavens. You see, a bow is a warrior's weapon. A bow is one that brings judgment. A bow is that of a king which says, no, no. This is war against sin. And here we have this covenant that God makes that says, I am here, and he says, I'm going to hang it in the heavens so that you will see so that you would see and recognize. He does this in light of all that Noah is going to fall into. He does it in light knowing that this world is going to continue to run to sin. He does it in light and hangs a rainbow in the sky knowing that you and I are going to continue to sin and struggle and limp to the finish and fall on our face again and again and think I should be king and I should rule this place and I have it and yet God for all eternity who's has made a covenant that he has forgotten though we forget so often and he says here it is here's my covenant but friends a rainbow a rainbow just isn't pretty light you don't get a rainbow just through clouds a rainbow requires rain it requires that rain And remember, rain isn't just, oh man, that waters the earth and farmers love it. Remember, for Noah, what is rain? Put yourself in Noah's shoes for just a second, who wakes up from his drunkenness saying, Where's my clothes? And then you see clouds. And you see the storms gathering. And you are reminded that there is a God who judges sin. Hey friends, we can decorate all sorts of rooms with animals and boats. And we live in a world that uses the rainbow for all sorts of other things. But though you and I forget, God does not. And he will hold us accountable for sin. He will hold us accountable for sin. And his reign is coming. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, he will judge sin. And he has said, just as he did in the days of Noah, he said there's only one way to be saved from this reign. And the larger unpacking of this story tells us that that is only in Jesus. And that rain of God's judgment will hit you or Jesus, the sacrifice who covers you. The ark of God that saves us from the judgment of God. And here's an important piece of that. How many people... A whole world, how many people walked by and saw the ark? It wasn't enough for Noah to build the ark. It wasn't enough to just say, look at that. I did it, God. We can all see that. And we see unfolding throughout Scripture, this narrative comes up. Later on, we hear the story of the Passover in which God requires that his followers to make a sacrifice and cover their doorposts with the blood of that sacrifice. And it's not enough just that they say, okay, look, here it is. No, the important thing is called the Passover. And why? Because the Lord sees it. It's not enough that you see the ark or see Jesus or say nice things about Jesus. It's that you are in and covered by the blood. It's that we are in the ark and that God, when he looks at us, sees Jesus, our covering. My fear is that we've grown so comfortable In this world and in this place. And then we walk by and we see a lot about Jesus and we see a lot of things and we just say, oh yeah, I'll get to that when I get to that. Or we trick ourselves into believing that, oh, God's just kidding about judgment. And yet, God's warning to Noah about flood was not a threat, it was a promise. And he made a way of escape. And so many of us are falling into the same trap. Where we see Jesus, but we haven't been covered by Jesus. I'll leave you with this. You and I need a healthy sense of the judgment of God that shakes us from our casual lives. It shakes us from it. We need to be reminded, we need to be stirred, we need an a, a, a in-our-bones understanding that our only hope is in Jesus. And God has given us, God has given us an atmospheric warning, a meteorological billboard sign that shows up. And even this morning, as I wake up and I walk out my door, I looked and I saw the storm clouds and the wet ground in which maybe it stirred something in me that I'm, I'm often so numb to, that this rain isn't just an inconvenience to what I might wear today or what it might do to my hair. It is... A warning from God to trust and believe in him. Hear how one pastor says it. And I'll leave you right here. Charles Spurgeon says, again, in the rainbow and in Christ, I see vengeance satisfied. Is not the bow the symbol of the warrior's power? Beloved, beloved, Christ is vengeance satisfied. Those wounds, those bright and burnished jewels of his hands, betoken that God demands no more of man. The rainbow, yet again, is a token that vengeance itself has become on our side. You see, it's an unbroken bow. He did not snap it across his knee. It is a bow still. Vengeance is there. Justice is there. By which but but which way is it pointed? Will you bow your heads with me? Hey church, I say this with the love of a father, as I would say it to my own girls, to uh, anyone else, like do you know Jesus? In Jesus, the bow of God's judgment faces to heaven. Apart from Jesus, His judgment falls upon us, upon you. And just like the story of the flood, there's no hope apart from his covering. Because we have a holy God who cannot just tolerate sin, but he has made a way for you and I to be right. I don't care if you woke up in a drunken stupor this morning. I don't care if you have made a mess of things that make Noah's feel like small issues. This God has hung a testimony in the heavens to say trust and believe in him, and you will be saved.